Now we're going to um, continue our, our second week in the little book of Philemon. That's the book of Philemon, uh, starting at verse 1. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, to Aphia, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers, because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order to you to do what you ought to do, yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. I then, as Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do will be spontaneous, not forced. Perhaps the reason he was separated to you, from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So, if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I might have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one thing more. Prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Now, uh, one criticism of Christianity that has become a lot more popular in recent years is the idea that it supported slavery. Now, of course, it was used or perverted um, by many people in the pre-American Civil War South to justify slavery. Um, and many people have said that at the very least the Bible didn't condemn it clearly enough and that it was because of that that slavery took such a long time to be wiped out. Now, that isn't really true. Uh, for the very first batch of laws in the Bible, um, to kidnap another person, to enslave them, was a capital offense. Now, that is taking it fairly seriously. Similarly, it was actually illegal to hand over a runaway slave to their master. If they fled to you, you looked after them. You had to let them alone and keep them. 
And the New Testament has the, a similar message. In, in 1 Timothy, Paul talks about slave traders as people who are, are lawbreakers, rebels against God. Now, of course, the early Christians were a tiny, illegal, and revolutionary group. They weren't writing policy proposals for the Roman emperors. And they also didn't encourage slaves to rebel because they knew exactly where that ended in the ancient world. If you've watched the film Spartacus, getting a little old now, you'll know how that film ends. It's not a happy ending. The slaves revolt, and thousands of them are crucified. That is what happened in the ancient world. But Paul, in this little letter, engages with slavery in a, a very different way. You see, slavery, one of its great evils is that it dehumanizes people. It treats them as utterly subhuman, as units of production, machines, or property. It treats them with contempt. What is so remarkable about this little book is that it does the very opposite. It takes a single person, one slave, just one, and treats his situation gently and tenderly and with care. It's saying that even one single slave matters enough to God that God's going to put a whole book in the Bible, short as it may be, all about him. And it changes our attitudes about people. It's a letter as a result that tells us that if one little lonely slave matters enough to God for this, then every person is to be treated with the same respect and love and forgiveness and grace in a really radical way. And that's why today looking at this letter is not going to be an academic exercise and us thinking about slavery in the ancient world or something like that. Because it teaches us too to see people we belittle or particularly people we have fallen out with um, with the same respect and love and forgiveness and grace. Firstly, that Paul commends here, but also that Jesus has shown to us. As we saw last week, um, Paul is calling this man Philemon he's writing to, to do this as an example of sharing his faith, of the gospel partnership, the fellowship that all Christians share, and that fellowship which leads to growth and joy and understanding of our faith. Now, a few little details before we plunge in. Um, as we said, this letter is from the Apostle Paul. It addresses Philemon, who was a slave owner. And he with his slave, Onesimus. Onesimus has run away, and as we'll see, he seems to have stolen something on his way out. And in that situation, under Roman law, Philemon was in his rights to beat Onesimus to death. He was within his rights even potentially to have him crucified, to put fear into other slaves. The idea was to make sure nobody ever did that again. And any person who protected that slave was liable to severe punishment as well. That was the normal evil of the ancient world. And there was only one legal way out for a slave who'd run away. That was to go and find a friend of their master and talk to them and ask them to go be a go-between. And it seems Onesimus did exactly that. He found the apostle Paul, even though he was in prison. And he said, will you be a go-between for me? And while he was there, he became a Christian. In this passage, as a result, we see two men who are going to be reconciled. Reconciled by love, firstly, in 8 to 10. Reconciled by a brotherhood that they share in 11 to 16. And finally, reconciled by Christ in 17 to 21. So firstly, they were reconciled by love. Uh, we see that right at the beginning. Paul makes his request, Although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what I ought to do. He's saying, look Philemon. I could tell you to sort things out. You know, I'm, I'm an apostle. And God appoints leaders in church to 
among other things, the elders are to point out where we're not living up to the standards of Christianity. And he's saying, I could do that with you, Philemon. Not going to, though. I'm not going to, not today. I'm going to appeal to you on the basis of love. I'm going to ask you out of love for others, for your fellow Christians, and far more out of love for God, to do what you ought to do. And he appeals, uh, not as the apostle. And it's interesting, actually, this is the only letter of Paul's in the New Testament where he doesn't really introduce himself as an apostle. He introduces himself as the prisoner of Christ Jesus. He's not using his authority here. He says, I, Paul, an old man, now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus. He's tugging here at Philemon's heartstrings. And he says, I appeal to you on the basis of love, and I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Someone became a Christian through me, Philemon. Uh, when I even was chained up in prisons, they, they still became a Christian. You never guess who it was. It was your old slave, the runaway, Onesimus. He doesn't want what Philemon does to be just ticking off a quick command. He could say, you know, free him, let him go. And Philemon could do that and be done. He wants something far, far more. And we're going to see that in the rest of the passage. And he needs something that can't be done in a grudging way. It can't be done just to keep the rules. It's got to be done with a heart full of love. And before we move on, um, that is just a really important lesson for us. It's easy to make one of two errors. You, you can think the Christian life is a bunch of rules and try and keep them. And if you do that, you, you're always thinking, you know, what are the requirements that I've got to do? How do I tick off these things on the list? What's the minimum? And perhaps sometimes the opposite. You think, how far can I go without breaking the rules? But Christian ethics are based on love. They are based on a very different principle. But that also means, in turn, that they're not less but more demanding than those rules. It would be easy for Philemon if all he had to do was let this guy go. If all he had to do was obey a command or two. But you know, you can hold someone's your equal. You can treat them as free and hate their guts. That's not a hard thing to do, is it? He could still think of him with contempt. But Paul is going to ask him to go so much further. And God does exactly the same with you and me. If we fall out with someone, it's not enough to tolerate them. It's not enough to just not shout at them. It's not enough to just treat them as equals or with cold respect. It's not enough ever for us to do the minimum. We are called to pour ourselves out in love. More of that as we carry on through. The second way they are reconciled is by brotherhood in verses 11 to 16. This is an appeal for a man and for a brother. Paul's told Philemon he's going to make a request for an SMS, but he doesn't make it straight away, you'll notice. He wants to see him to see Onesimus in a new way, first of all. And he does begin by pointing out he's changed. He who was useless to you has become useful to you and to me. He's changed. You know, maybe he was useless because he was feckless or because he was careless or he was lazy or he was a thief. We don't know. But it's not true anymore. More than that, he is beloved by Paul. I'm sending you him who is my very heart back to you. I love this guy, and I'm entrusting him back to you. 
And Paul says, I would have liked to keep him with you so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in change for the gospel. There's a little hint, perhaps, in the Greek as well, that when he says keep him, he means hold him back. There's a hint, perhaps, that Philemon, sorry, Onesimus, the slave, is actually the one wanting to go back to his master for reconciliation. Paul would like to keep him, but he's not going to. Why? So that he could take your place, Philemon, in helping me. This man's able to help Paul while he's in prison. Now, what does he mean? Does he mean it's handy having a slave around to do the washing up? Um, almost certainly not. Um, Onesimus is able to take Philemon's help. You remember back from one, verses 1 to 3, Philemon was called Paul's dear friend and fellow worker. He was saying he's someone who'd worked alongside Paul in spreading the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ. And Paul's saying, in the moment, I'm in prison. I need people to work with me. I need people to help me spread the gospel. If you were here with me, Philemon, that would be amazing. You could help me in that. But you're not. But guess what? Onesimus can do the job as well. The same job you would do. He's a fellow worker. He can take your place. But he didn't want to keep him back. Even more, Paul wonders, perhaps there was a reason for all of this. I didn't want to do it without your consent, so that your favor won't, won't be forced. But, sorry, um, sorry, those verses in the middle. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good. Paul is wondering, perhaps God had a purpose in this. Perhaps this falling out was all with a real reason. Perhaps there was a plan. He doesn't know exactly, but God's at work. Why? Because God wants them to relate not as slave and master anymore, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He wants them to have a new brotherhood. That would be pretty amazing in the ancient world. And so Paul reiterates, this man's very dear to me. He's even dearer to you. You might not know it, you might not feel it, but he is. Both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. He's your brother as a man. In other words, he's a human being just like you. He's worthy of the same respect you are, not of the contempt and mistreatment he would have had as a slave. And now, well, he's become a Christian now, so he's now a brother in the Lord as well. A child of God just like you. You're part of the same family. How do you treat a member of your own family? This man should be dear to you. So you see what Paul is doing here. He's helping Philemon see Onesimus with new eyes. This isn't someone Philemon can take for granted or look down on. He's his equal. He's a co-worker with the Apostle Paul. He's a servant of the gospel, a servant of God. He's beloved. He's the very heart of the Apostle. How can you treat someone like that as a delinquent slave? He's a human being just like him and a child of God just like him. Just as, as Paul had said in a much earlier letter, there is neither slave nor free for you are all one in Christ Jesus. These men are to be reconciled, firstly by their, their equality as people, but also by their brotherhood in Christ. What does that mean for us today? Well, notice Paul doesn't think it's enough just to say all men are equal or something like that, that it's wrong to treat them in this way because of that. They are, and he thinks that, and it's in there. But he needs to go further. He needs to show Philemon that there is something about this man really worth loving and respecting. Again, he doesn't want just a cold offer of freedom. He wants an entirely new relationship. This, of course, is the way of looking at the world that ultimately did destroy uh, slavery. First, uh, in the waning days of the Roman Empire, 
And then once again, when slavery came back in the 16th and 19th centuries, it was this kind of thinking that destroyed it. Really learning to see people with the love and respect that they deserve, not just as a cold legal fiction or an idea of rights or equality, but to learn to love them. And of course, it doesn't just apply to slavery. When we fall out with people, God doesn't call us to treat them with cold respect as equals. He calls us to love them. And most of all, in our family, our Christian family. It's very easy to fall out. I think we don't do too badly in this church. We don't have too many difficult relationships. But there are times when we all annoy each other. I'm sure I annoy you, the rest of you, more than all the rest of you put together. I get more chances to. But we're to love one another. And to fail to love each other is to fail to love what God has made as he has remade us in the image of his son, made us his children. But then they are finally reconciled by Christ. Paul has made it clear his appeal to Philemon is based on love. He's made it clear that his appeal is for a man who must be seen as a dear brother. And now he goes on to spell out a little more what Philemon is to do for Onesimus. Now, if you've been reading the letter closely, this is the point at which you might feel slightly frustrated because he doesn't at any point explicitly say, Philemon, let Onesimus go and don't let him be your slave anymore. Now, just, just briefly to pause and, and think about the life, life at the time, just to help perhaps explain that a little. I think Paul is indirectly asking Philemon to set Onesimus free. I think that's fairly clear. But at the same time, we mustn't be naive about how easy that was in the ancient world. Um, one of the great evils of slavery was just how difficult it was to get out of. Um, firstly, an owner simply couldn't legally free all the slaves he wanted. There was a law against that because slaves were regarded as the most important thing for industrial production in the ancient world, and the government didn't want them all set free. Uh, secondly, freeing a slave didn't actually result in what we'd call freedom at all. They were still bound to their master, believe it or not. Oh, they owed them obedience. They owed them work. They often had, couldn't run away. Um, and if they were freed when they were too young, they would never have the rights of a, a, a normal member of society. So there's lots of practical difficulties. And then if it came to the crunch, there's no, no normal job market. So you're potentially chucking someone out in the street. Uh, there was... Uh, a Roman writer, Epictetus, who was a slave himself. And he's, he talked about the joy of when he was first set free. He says, ah, if I shall be set free immediately, it's all happiness. I care for no man. I speak to all as an equal. And like them, I go where I choose. I come from any place I choose, and I go where I choose. He was happy. But then he talks about the reality of it. And he's set free. And forthwith, having no place where he can eat, he looks for some man to flatter, someone whom he can, with whom he shall sup. In other words, where am I going to eat dinner? And then he either works with his body and endures the most dreadful things, and if he can obtain a manager, he falls into a slavery much worse than his former slavery. That was his experience. Life was tough. So the point isn't that Onesimus shouldn't be freed. It's that we shouldn't be naive about how difficult it would be. Um, just briefly, I think an illustration that maybe helps us with that. Imagine you are, say, in Saudi Arabia five years ago. You're uh, man, and all your, all your life long, you have been told that your wife is a little less than you, and that your wife, as a result, uh, you know, is there to do lots of helpful work for you. you. You maybe love her, 
but she's not your equal. Now then you become a Christian. Hopefully that will radically change the way you look at her. Quite quickly, you'll, you'll begin to think about her in a different way. It will take a lot longer some of the ingrained habits of a lifetime to come out. You know, I have the privilege of you know, discipling people who have come from a background like this, and it takes a long time for some of the habits of treating someone uh, in, a, in that way to, to get rooted out. Um, if you're used to your wife doing everything and, and just while well, you have your feet up and smoke your pipe, it's, it takes time, especially if you've never seen anyone model it. It needs to be done. And it was going to be hard for Philemon in the same way. But what, what about if you're that man and, and you are working at all those things, you're working at treating your wife more equally, helping and working together as a team, as a partnership. Should you, for that reason, encourage your wife to take the car keys and go for a drive in Saudi Arabia five years ago before they made it legal? Probably not, unless you want her to end up in prison. That's potentially the issue here. Should Onesimus be free? Yes, definitely. Does that mean it's easy and simple for Philemon to free him? No. This situation is going to take years to work out. Now, back to the, the passage. If you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. Now, to us, this sounds like a little throwaway, but it is so much more than that. How does a wealthy guy welcome his business partner when that partner's been away on a long journey and comes to stay with him? Still more, how would... Philemon, who has been, become a Christian through the Apostle Paul, welcome him when he comes to stay with him. And this man is a hero of the faith, and he's going to come and stay for a few days. How would he welcome him? You know, the red carpet's going to be rolled out. He's going to get hugs and kisses and respect. He's going to be ushered in and sat in the dining room and brought out the best wine and really treated as an honored guest. Philemon is saying, you know, I know in your society, Onesimus, people never even eat with their slaves but you're going to roll out the red carpet for this one. I want you to treat him just like you treat me. That's hard enough to imagine ourselves. Imagine a great hero of yours uh, turns up for tea and coffee after the service and mentions they're going to come and stay with you tonight. Um, maybe that's a great Christian hero, someone who you became a Christian through. Maybe it's, I don't know, Billy Graham or something. It's probably the closest equivalent. Or perhaps it's just a secular hero, you know, a musician or an actor that you love. Um, you're going to treat them with a bit of reverence and, and, and is, you're going to be hanging on their every word, aren't you, at the back there? And you're going to make sure your house is nice and tidy and that you've got a really good dinner on. Then you get a little note from them saying, incidentally, I can't make it, held up in traffic, but please welcome, welcome my friend John Smith instead. It's going to be hard to hang on John Smith's every word since you've no idea who he is. It's going to be hard to welcome him in the same way and make sure that the dinner is just perfect for him. But Paul asks it. More than that, Paul asks it because he said something, someone do the same for him. This is the important reality that's underlying this part of the letter. Paul doesn't mention Jesus much in this letter. You may have noticed that. There's a reason for it. He's not mentioning, reminding Philemon with his words. He's reminding him with his actions. Paul and Philemon both know what it is to be welcomed by someone else in this way. Paul was once an enemy of God who made his mission to hunt down and eradicate the church. Then Jesus stopped him. And God welcomed him, not because of what he had done, but because of what Jesus had done. And that's what Jesus does for each of us when we become Christians. He says to the Father, welcome this one as you would welcome me. 
And God the Father does. He welcomes us as his beloved children. He welcomes us just as if it was Jesus, the only one with a perfect life. That's why we forgive. That's why we love. That's why we long for reconciliation with our enemies, because God has done this for us. Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant so that we could have the welcome he deserved. Now, at this point, Paul acknowledges there's an elephant in the room. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything. Now, if you're a slave with no money and you want to go on the run, you're going to probably nick something from your master, aren't you? Whether it's just a sandwich or a bit of cash or your master's wife's jewelry. Onesimus seems to have done something like that. Paul says, even if he has, charge it to me. Charge it to my account. I'll cover it. Um, And more than that, he says, I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. In other words, this is an IOU. I will pay it back. Now, of course, Philemon, if you are going to talk in terms of accounts, you're the one who's in debt to me. You owe me your very self. Through me, you gain into future with God and new heavens and new earth. But of course, if you insist, I will, you've got my IOU, I will pay. I will put myself on the line for Onesimus. Back to John Smith, who's joining us for coffee after the service. Um, perhaps you get a note mentioning that actually he's the guy who uh, burgled the church a couple of months back. Some of you may remember that. Smashed in some doors. Uh, did quite a bit of damage. Fortunately, didn't nick too much. Now, Welcome him. <laughs> welcome him like you'd welcome your hero. <laughs> that's, that's what Philemon's being asked to do here. And of course, back to Jesus. Jesus died in order to cancel the record of debt that stood against us, to have it nailed to the cross, to pay that debt. Jesus gave the Father the IOU for everything we had done wrong. Paul had a lot to pay for. He'd done a lot wrong. God had done it for him. Same for us. We have an account to settle with God. We've got let him down in so many ways. We have a punishment to face, and God gives the Father that IOU, and he pays up. He died on the cross to pay every single penny of our debt. Now, like Paul, like Philemon, we've got to admit that when someone comes who owes us something, who's let us down, who's done something wrong against us, we can't ask for the payment of the debt when we've been forgiven such a great debt ourselves. Like Paul, we've got to be willing to say, I'll pay, I'll, I'll put the cost on the line. I'll, I'll be willing to do that. It's costly. It's the kind of love that doesn't just destroy slavery, as it did, but liberates people to live real love and real lives with a real future. Paul ends with his request. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement, Philemon. You have refreshed the hearts of the saints. That's from the beginning of the letter, remember. Now he says, do the same for me. (laughs) Do the same for me. Refresh my heart in Christ. But I am confident of your obedience. And so I write to you, knowing you will do even more than I ask. This Onesimus, he's going to get a welcome even better than you would give to me. You're going to work out a relationship of love and respect that is even deeper than I can imagine. Philemon could very, very easily 
have just dismissed all of this. He could have said, you know, come on, Paul, everyone does this. Everyone in all our society, all around about, keeps slaves, and it's just normal. It's just part of life. Very easy for us to use that excuse when we're doing things that we know are against God's commands. But Paul knows that's not going to happen. Because Philemon's not just trying to live up to the occasional rule. He's going to live by the love that Paul is calling him to. I probably shouldn't even bother with this next bit since it's not in the Bible, but just a possible. Anesimus is an unusual word for a name for anyone except a slave because it means something like helpful. It's the kind of name you give to your home help as if you don't want to bother calling them their own name. It just happens that the local bishop, um, a few years later in Ephesus, just down the road from Colossae, was called Onesimus. Quite possibly, he wasn't just freed to live out a life of like a slave, but quite likely, this man actually became the leader of the church in that whole area. We can't build too much on that. We don't know it's certain. But that's the kind of society the early church built. In a world where slaves were looked down on, held with contempt, even once they were freed, they were never really proper. Every single Christian in Ephesus, perhaps, was taught and led by someone who may have been a slave. Back to ourselves. I hope none of you have slaves today. I'm guessing none of you do. But there is a lot here, isn't there? There is a lot to think about. Because we are called to live the same life of generous love towards those who have let us down, to heal the fallings out we have. Not as a matter of obligation, not because God is watching out to cast us out if we fail, but because he has already welcomed us in. He has already loved us. He has already bought us our freedom. He has already done everything for us. And Christ has paid every single bit of debt we owe so that we could be reconciled to the Father. Let's go and do the same to one another. In Jesus' name.